0: Welcome to the Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. Your guide is pastor and theologian, Dr. John Whitaker, and the heart behind these studies is to help you better understand the text of scripture so you can more fully live it out. It's all about helping you learn and live the Bible. Here is the book of 2 Corinthians. All right, my name is John, and welcome to the Listener's Commentary on 2 Corinthians. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible-teaching ministry that's made possible by the support of people just like you. What that means is, if you're listening to this commentary on 2 Corinthians, the reason you're able to do that is because a ton of people give whatever they can afford so that this uh, commentary, 2 Corinthians and all the others, can be available at no charge. So to those of you who support this ministry, thanks a ton. And if you want to join the team of supporters, there's a link down in the notes below or just swing over to listenerscommentary.com. Click the Give button. You can set up a recurring monthly donation right there or give a one-time gift right there as well. Or you can support this ministry through the Listener's Commentary Study Hub. Give what you can afford. You get access to all sorts of bonus material inside the Study Hub with pictures, maps, charts, and additional data beyond the audio to help you learn and live the Bible. All right, let's jump into 2 Corinthians. And in this recording, we're going to look at the backstory, and that's critical for understanding 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is the most autobiographical letter of the Apostle Paul that we have in the New Testament. And that means there's just a ton of backstory behind it and a lot of details that are just assumed about Paul's relationship with the Corinthians and their relationship with Paul and interactions they have had, all of what is just assumed in the writing of this letter. And if we don't have at least some grasp of that backstory, man, the letter is going to, in some regards, elude us. And so we need to really wrestle with what all has gone on in Corinth and between Paul and the Christians in Corinth that led to the writing of 2 Corinthians. And just acknowledging that reminds us that when we're reading the letters of the New Testament, we're reading somebody else's mail. And that means that we... Uh, aren't the original audience. There's questions that are being addressed and issues that are being addressed that aren't maybe our questions or our issues. We have to honor that, that the uh, writings of the New Testament have a dual nature, much like Jesus had a dual nature. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, living as a first century Jew in Israel, right? He had this dual nature. Well, the the writings of the New Testament have a dual nature as well. They have uh, a divinely inspired nature, and at the same time, they have a very human backstory and, and audience and authorship. And so, both are true of Jesus and the letters of the New Testament, Second Corinthians, that shows up uh, in large print. There's just a ton of backstory here, and so we want to spend some time wrestling with that in this recording. And before we look at just a, those details related to Second Corinthians, I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to the backstory to 1 Corinthians, that would be helpful. Again, I'm not going to repeat everything I said there about the city of Corinth and Uh, that it was a large and prosperous and uh, influential city. There were lots of opportunities for social advancements, which created a unique sort of climate within Corinth. All of that's really important, and that's in the backstory to 1 Corinthians. Not only that, in that backstory to 1 Corinthians, we also talked about uh, the honor and shame nature of the ancient world. We talked about uh, the patron and client system and how that affected things, that's really important here in 2 Corinthians as well. And so if you haven't listened to the backstory of 1 Corinthians, or if it's been a while since you have, I'd encourage you to listen to that as well to help flesh out the whole story here with the Corinthians. And let me just mention a couple things with regard to that honor and shame and patron client system. Uh, That's really important to 2 Corinthians as well. And that is that Paul refused to be a client of a wealthy patron. And instead, he worked with his own hands. You can read that in in Acts chapter 18, where he worked with Priscilla and Aquila in their leather working and tent making shop. That was his trade that he had by virtue of his family heritage. And so he did that to make his own money and pay for his own room and board. And so he did that instead of uh, being socially indebted to some wealthy patron, which was really bucking the system of the day. And that meant he was doing manual labor um, and uh, didn't have a patron of status who, who brought him honor either. And so this really, in some regards, lowered Paul's social standing status, particularly in the eyes of some in the church in Corinth. And add to that Paul's uh, sufferings, his hardships, some of, and not only Paul, but his team's suffering and hardships and his relative poverty. And man, he sure doesn't look like an ambassador or an apostle uh, for the king of kings. And that lies behind a lot of what's going on in 2 Corinthians. And so we have to remember some of that. And so again, encourage you to listen to the details of that in the backstory to 1 Corinthians. The other thing that's really important here that we need to make sure we have in mind is just all the interactions between Paul and the Corinthians that has led up to the writing of 2 Corinthians. And so here is here's what's gone on. All right. We, Paul has written 1 Corinthians, and you can you can get the backstory of that on that uh, that recording. But he's written 1 Corinthians, and at the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul says he's planning on coming to Corinth. Uh, himself. But before he comes, he's thinking of sending Timothy and and maybe some others with him. And so he urges the Corinthians to treat Timothy with kindness if he comes. And so Paul sends Timothy and Erasmus out into Macedonia. They're going to make their way through Macedonia and down to Corinth. Um, And so that's all there in uh, 1 Corinthians 16 at the end of the letter that Paul is planning on coming, but he sends them out. Well, Somewhere after writing First Corinthians, somewhere uh, after sending Timothy there, maybe when Timothy returns, somehow Paul receives word that the problems in Corinth have not gotten better; that they've actually gone from bad to worse. Um, not only that, that they didn't respond well to First Corinthians, to that letter, and some people really got uh, offended by that. There were there was now uh, more. Uh, problems and tension and division in the church. And so Paul, who was in Ephesus when he wrote 1 Corinthians, Paul sails from Ephesus to Corinth, a trip that's not mentioned in Acts. Uh, Ephesus is right across the Aegean from Corinth. And so Paul sails from Ephesus to Corinth and um, and makes a brief visit to Corinth to try to solve the problems and straighten things out. It was an impromptu, unplanned visit that was motivated by uh, what he had heard about how bad things had gotten in Corinth. Well, Paul sails there, he meets with the church, and it did not go well. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 Um, makes it clear that, man, things went bad. He actually refers to it as a painful visit or a severe visit, a difficult visit. Um, We we learn that Paul uh, returned to Ephesus a little bit shamed, a little bit with his tail between his legs. like uh, There was a ringleader of the opposition to Paul in Corinth who uh, really uh, came out strongly against him in a public gathering, and it didn't go well for for Paul at all. Uh, This left uh, really things in a state of disarray in Corinth. And so Paul actually writes another letter that we don't have access to, uh, what he calls the severe letter. He writes a painful, hard, severe letter challenging the Corinthians and, and sends it uh, back to them. And he sends that, it seems like, with Titus. Um, and he describes it as a letter he sent with much sorrow. You can, again, read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and 9. Um, and and this then led to a complete change of plans on Paul's part. This uh, impromptu trip, this now severe letter sent over with Titus. Um, and so Paul has decided now he's not going to go to Corinth for a while. And so now he changes his plans uh, and when he's going to visit them. And all this change of itinerary and plans, that created problems in the Corinthians' mind too. Some saw that as Paul being fickle and speaking out of both sides of his mouth. The conflict, Paul's relationship with the Corinthians is deteriorating. Uh, This severe letter was uh, harsh and full of much sorrow. And uh, when Paul sent the severe letter, he seems to have arranged to meet Titus at Troas. Um, And so Paul, back in Ephesus, sends this letter does ministry in Ephesus for a while, leaves Ephesus to head to Troas where he's arranged to meet Titus. But Titus doesn't show. And Paul is just anxious. He wants to know how the Corinthians responded to that letter. He wants to know, man, if there's been any forward progress. And he's waiting for Titus at Troas. And uh, Titus doesn't show. And so he's like, man, I, I got to go find Titus. And so he he sails from Troas across, to, uh, across the Aegean, probably to Philippi, and uh, eventually finds Titus in Macedonia. Likely at Philippi, but we don't know for sure where at. He finally finds Titus um, and meets Titus. Again, you can read that in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 6 and 7. So finds Titus, and Titus brings news of Corinth. And the news he brought was sort of mixed. He brought good news that the majority in the church had responded to the severe and sorrowful letter and had repented and reaffirmed their commitment to Paul and to Paul's gospel ministry. And so the majority of the church um, had responded well. They they had heard the the criticism and the harshness of the, the letter. They recognized they were wrong and they had repented. But... That the news was mixed because there was still a vocal minority who looked down on Paul and questioned his leadership. And not only that, uh, there was this presence now of some uh, Jewish traveling preachers who had questioned Paul's legitimacy, and that was stirring up some problems in Corinth as well. Um, and then there was still the matter of the collection for the Jerusalem Christians that had been uh, inaugurated, right, in First Corinthians, he was trying to get them on board and get them going with that. All of that's been tabled now and all this chaos. And so he wants to get them back on board with that as a a show of kind of uh, support and allegiance together. And so he's trying to get them back on that. So we at least got large repentance, but there's still a vocal minority. And then there's these Jewish traveling preachers that are causing problems. And so before Paul himself traveled back to Corinth, Paul wrote another letter. This is the letter we call 2 Corinthians. And Paul, in Macedonia, writes what we call 2 Corinthians and uh, sends sends Titus and 2 Corinthians back to Corinth to kind of welcome back in the majority who has repented explain once again his philosophy of ministry and why it looks the way it does and how it's based on the cross to challenge the vocal minority and to kind of encourage those who are on board with Paul and his ministry to get back uh, to gathering the collection. And then Paul uh, sends Titus back with that letter and those instructions, and he himself continued preaching in Macedonia for a time. Possibly up to a whole year. We're not sure exactly how long, but it was a good chunk of time. And he continued preaching in Macedonia for a time. And uh, he probably, that's probably when he went up into Illyricum, uh, kind of northwestern Macedonia. We have no record of that in Acts, but when Paul writes uh, Romans just shortly hereafter, uh, he, he mentions he had gone up into Illyricum. This is probably when that happened. And so, Paul writes that letter. He continues preaching in Macedonia for a good length of time, uh, giving them some time to kind of respond to 2 Corinthians, get the collection together, make sure things are in good order before he himself comes to Corinth. He eventually comes to Corinth and spends an entire winter there in the late 50s. Whew, that's a lot of material, isn't it? Uh, but that's in a nutshell, the story behind 2 Corinthians. I have a document that I'll put in the study hub that summarizes all of that to help you follow along with that and make sense of that. Uh, It's a load of piecing together what's said in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Acts, and organizing it all uh, so that we at least have some handle of all of Paul's interactions with the Corinthians that led up to the writing of 2 Corinthians. And just bear in mind, Second Corinthians is technically, as best as we can tell, at least the fourth letter Paul has written to the Corinthians. Before 1 Corinthians... There was a letter uh, that Paul wrote to them dealing with a specific issue. Then there was 1 Corinthians. In between 1 and 2 Corinthians, there was that severe and sorrowful letter. And then there was 2 Corinthians. And so there's just been a lot of interactions dealing with this church. And we at least have to have some of that story if we're going to read 2 Corinthians well. So that document's available in the Study Hub to help you sort some of those details out. All right, let's just summarize some of the details of the backstory in a little bit more straightforward, traditional manner, just so you at least have those for you. So the author of 2 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul, calls himself that in chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1. And obviously, as we said, it's the most autobiographical letter we have of his involving a lot of details of his life. Uh, The recipients are the Christians in the city of Corinth. Corinth is a large and prosperous city in Uh, the uh, Roman provincial district of Achaia, and uh, Corinth was one of the top five cities of the Roman Empire in the first century. So it's a really important city. That uh, plays into this letter as well. And Paul, as we said in that backstory, wrote this letter from Macedonia after he met Titus and Titus brought mixed news about how the church had responded to that severe letter. And so Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Corinth from Macedonia, which is northern Greece, north of the city of Corinth, and sent it back to Corinth with Titus. Now, when did he write this letter? Well, there is a, a range of dates suggested by scholars from, say, late 53 to his... Uh, far as like early 57. I mean, that's a pretty big date range. In other words, it's really hard to pin down the exact dates for this time period in Paul's life. Um, We know he started the church in Corinth in 51, and we know he spent about 18 months there doing ministry there after he started that. We also know that his interactions with the Corinthians began while he was in Asia or in Ephesus on his third journey. And we know that there's been significant interaction with them between 1st and 2nd Corinthians that would have taken several months. So um, how do we sort all that out? Well, probably the mid-50s makes good sense. And I tend to think then that 2nd Corinthians was written probably 54-ish, 55-ish, maybe upwards of 56-ish, somewhere in there, right? Like, um, So that mid-50s is when this letter was written. Um, and... It was written specifically to reaffirm Paul's commitment to the church and to urge their full reconciliation with him by those who have repented. Um, so those who have repented and responded to that severe, sorrowful letter, Paul writes this letter with the hope of really Um, re-basically affirming his commitment to them and urging that they just fully reconcile themselves to him and that they understand. He wants them to understand his approach to ministry. Why does his ministry look so lowly? Why is there so much hardship, suffering, and self-emptying? Paul explains all of that in this letter, and it gives us incredible insight into Paul's philosophy of ministry and teaches us a ton about how we should view our life and our relationships and the way we pour ourselves out for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom as well. Uh, But it also means a lot of what Paul says is about himself and his ministry team. And so we have to be careful in how we take what he says about himself and his ministry team and apply that to ourselves. So we're gonna have to think all that through as we wrestle with this letter. And so 2 Corinthians really shows us Paul's theology of ministry and why his ministry looks the way it does. Uh, even though it's countercultural and apparently weak, why is that? I mean, how could that be uh, a ministry of a glorious King like Jesus if it's so weak? Um, not only that, Second uh, Corinthians also calls them, though that repentant minority or majority, it it calls them to recommit to the collection for the Jerusalem Christians that they had promised to get involved in earlier before all this chaos ensued. And so he's call he calls them to recommit to that. And then, uh, finally, this letter c- calls that um, vocal minority uh, to mend their ways, challenges them to reject the intruders, who he almost kind of seemingly sarcastically refers to as the super apostles, those uh, what appear to be Jewish itinerant preachers that uh, have come in and stirred up this vocal minority against Paul, and Paul uh, calls them to reject them, Um and reject their influence and mend their ways and return to Paul. And so it's this complex web of relationships that makes 2 Corinthians feel a bit erratic. You've got a vocal minority, a repentant majority. You've got uh, these uh, people who have come in from the outside who are stirring up trouble. And so Paul's got all of these different groups of people in mind as he writes the letter. And so he's fully aware of his position under God as an apostle. And he's thinking about the majority who have pledged their support to him, but he's also aware of the minority who are opposed to him or question him. And then he's aware of those uh, kind of people who've come in from the outside and all of those relationships affects what Paul says and how he says it in this letter. And so sometimes it feels a little bit erratic in how the letter works. So let me just give a quick overview of the letter, so we at least have a map for how we want to read the letter, and then we will wrap up our backstory. Um, There are three distinct parts to 2 Corinthians. First part is chapters 1 through 7. And the focus of these chapters is on Paul's ministry and his relationship with the Corinthians. And here we get a ton of insight into how Paul approached his ministry and why he approached it that way. And this section is really dense. It's complex. Um, and it's it's hard to totally understand all the relationships. Some even see it as like a giant chiasm, like this cross-shaped structure, possible. But that's all one big chunk, chapters 1 through 7, focused on Paul's ministry and his relationship with the Corinthians. Then you get chapters 8 and 9, very distinct section that focuses on the collection for the Jerusalem saints. And here uh, we get Paul's insight into uh, his kind of approach to giving and stewardship and why he's doing this collection. Then you get a third section, chapters 10 through 13, and the focus is on those who still oppose Paul and on those outsiders who have come in and stirred up some of the trouble. And the tone in chapters 10 through 13 radically changes. Uh, some of the themes in theology are from chapters 1 through 7 are now applied specifically to those who oppose uh, Paul and his ministry. And so here we get insight into Paul, Paul's self-understanding of his apostolic authority, including how he'd prefer to use it not harshly, but how he will use it if necessary when he comes. He talks about that. Here we see what he considers appropriate boasting because boasting was such a big deal in Corinth. And Paul's like, well, here's appropriate boasting. And he boasts in his suffering and his weakness. And so uh, chapter 10 through 13 is really taking some of that theology from 1 through 7 and applying it to uh, the troublemakers that still remain in the church at Corinth. Now one of the well-known issues in 2 Corinthians is the unity of the letter. Many have questioned the unity saying uh, especially concerning chapters 10 through 13 say man um, you know that seems like a whole separate letter maybe that's the severe letter or whatever else it is and uh, the, the problem is there's just no evidence of 2 Corinthians ever being anything other than what it is one letter. Um, and so any attempts to offer reconstructions of the contents as pasting together two or three different letters is like pure speculation. And personally, I think those who question its unity way overstate the case. Yes, there are distinct parts to the letter, those three distinct parts I just mentioned. Yes, the tone changes in chapter 10. But no, the parts and the tone aren't so different that it can't possibly be one letter, as some people say. Um This is Paul's most autobiographical letter. It's incredibly personal. And that provides both challenges for us in understanding and applying it. But if we'll do the work to hear Paul well, and we'll do the work of theological reflection, 2 Corinthians speaks a powerful message that we desperately need to hear in our day. Um, In our day and age of celebrity pastors and Instagram influencers and health and wealth ministries and all of that, they had kind of some inkling towards the same sorts of things in their day as well. And Paul's approach to ministry challenges that in a very powerful way. So as we enter into this letter, let's enter in with humility and let's do the hard work of understanding Paul and his approach to ministry and wrestle with what is the overall message of 2 Corinthians for us? How does it challenge our approach to life and ministry?